Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. All right. Hey, guys, we are back once again. It's another episode of Securing Bridges. I'm Alyssa Miller, and it is great to have you on board with us once again. Here on Securing Bridges, we talk every week about how we bring the cybersecurity conversation to non-security folks, bridging that gap and securing those bridges within our organizations, within our society. We've had a number of great guests. We've got another great guest this week, and I'm super excited to get started and super excited to have all of you with us. So what do you say? Let's get going. With us this week, it's Kayla Williams. Hey, Kayla, how are you? Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Hi, everyone. Well, thank you for joining. This is super cool. Uh, this was a another one I circled. I mean, I, I probably circle every week because the guests on this show have been <laughs> awesome. But again, I'm super excited to have yet another super cool guest. But rather than me tell them all about you, why don't you tell us all about you? Yeah, thank you. So uh, I'm Kayla Williams. I am the CISO at Devo Inc. So we are a cloud native team. Um, I've been in this role for just over a year. Um, so although I, I, on paper, I'm a newbie, I, I feel like, um, you know, in cat's lives, I'm probably on number five at this point. <laughs> uh, I have a really strong background in um, uh, information assurance, GRC, audit, both internal and external. So I've kind of come into this uh, role as the, the GRC side of the house versus the deeply technical, which gives me a very unique perspective on the information security challenges that we're facing uh, today, not just at my organization, but, you know, globally as well. Okay. So Devo, not the guys with the red hats running around. <laughs> right. Well, I actually, I have one. I should have worn it. I didn't think about it. Oh my God. Are you <laughs> <laughs> if you actually go to uh, our webpage and you scroll to the bottom, it says, if you're looking for the band, click here. And then their page says the same thing. If you're looking for the technology company, click here. Um, so <laughs> I love it. yeah. <laughs> and yes, when I got this job, um, in the GRC role previous, previously, uh, my mom bought me the red hat because, you know, that was her generation, right? And whip it. That was amazing. I love it. <laughs> See, these are the kinds of things you can do when you work in startup world, right? Like, so you guys are like, what, yeah. Series F, I think I saw? Yeah. So, so what has that been like? I mean, because that's kind of interesting. I think when we talk about, like, you know, startups and whatever, I, I I've been asked the question and I'm sure others have too, like when is the right time for a startup to bring in a CISO and things like that. But, you know, I'm, I, and I'm sure it's kind of shaped by the fact that you guys are a, a security company at the end of the day, but yeah. well, what is that like being a CISO for a startup? Uh, it, I think the CISO role has its challenges anyway, but being, you know, a startup company, you kind of, you're getting in at the ground floor and you're able to influence the overall corporate strategy 
far better when you're, when you're there. There's not this legacy setup that you have to kind of like maneuver around. Um, I think from, from where I sit, uh, my opinion is that the sooner, the better that you can bring in a security CISO team or, you know, just a security professional that has any background whatsoever is great. Um, the strategy itself is really hard to build from the ground up. So if you're starting a, a, a new company, like please consider security. It will help you. Um, <laughs> and not just from a trust perspective, right? And gaining trust with your customers or the market or your investors, but it will help you to avoid the common pitfalls that you see that other companies are going through right now. Um, some legacy organizations have had some breaches recently. If you think about like the past like six months, um, we, we've seen a lot, right? And those pitfalls, because um, I used to work at one of those companies, um, are things that could have easily been avoided if you'd been secure by default versus trying to weave it in to an already established process. You often hear that security is a department of no. And um, one of my former colleagues uh, at one of those organizations uh, said, no, we're not the department of no, we're the department of no problem. As long as you let us know as a security function what you're trying to do, we can help you navigate what's necessary to accomplish it securely by default. And this is the this is like the key thing. This is why it's so cool to me that like you're you're a CEO at a startup because of exactly that factor, right? So, you know, conversely in my experience, I walk into a job as a CISO and not only is the company, you know, decades old now and having grown through acquisition, so they have all those problems you expect, right? They've got, you know, inventorying IT is hard and trying to figure out where do we have everything because of acquisitions and how they've grown and everything else. But also, you know, not being their first CISO, I'm also picking up on a program that was started by somebody else. And of course, this job is as much an art form as a science. So of course, every new CISO is going to have their own ideas and opinions about the way things should be done. And there's, you know, changes I've had to make. So I think what you just highlighted is a really important thing. And I, I think that's the part that people miss, you know, when we think about founders and stuff who, who bring a startup to market is, you know, they look at that and it's kind of like, well, that's a costly thing we'll do down the road. And I think there's maybe short sightedness to real, to not realize that, it's going to cost us a lot more later to come back and fix the things we're missing. Is that, would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Rework is so expensive. I completely agree. And right now, one of the things that we're seeing is an uptick in brand damage due to security incidents or even near misses that just get publicized. Um, I, I feel like you can't go on Twitter and, and not come into a story somehow and not even just infosec Twitter, just regular Twitter. Regular, yeah. <laughs> Um, and the, the rework is so expensive and, and that comes down to, um, not just the technology, technological tools you have to put in place, but also man hours. If you're looking at the, the FTE hours that you're spending, having to patch again and again, um, or rebuild, it becomes very expensive. And that's something from an OPEX perspective, that's not always considered yeah. where those resources hours are going. And that's and that that's the thing I really want to highlight for anybody who is you know involved in that startup space or maybe you, you know you're even just thinking about bringing a brand to market is 
you, you really got to get ahead of this early to avoid a lot of expense later. So you look at it and you think, oh, well, security is just that that's an expensive thing. We'll do our best that we can, but we got to bring them. We got to get a product to market now and then we can worry about building, you know, on a security infrastructure later is literally words I've heard Arter. And so do you have, and I, I don't want to dig too much into your employer, but do you have a sense for what, what was kind of their impetus for bringing a CISO role to the organization? You know, it's, it's all about building trust with the brand, right? Okay. You want to be able to demonstrate through your actions that you are aligned to your, your customers. And, and they, you know, we have a lot of data in our environment. Customers are trusting us with that. And if we aren't implementing the security controls that are necessary to, to protect it, there goes that trust. And that is equates to dollars. So that reputational risk can be quantified by lost business that might be in the pipeline or something that you already have. When customers, they all talk to each other, right? doesn't matter. Industries just, you know, they, they have their own inner circles. And if you end up being blacklisted, you don't really know, you can't necessarily come back from that right away. And it's going to impact your, your bottom line. And security is not always a cost center. This is how you can quantify the value add through your customer engagements, customer questionnaires, you know, the, the GRC function that I like hold near and dear to my heart coming up that side. It really does help to, you know, show that there is a value add to having security built in and maintained. Um, and, and also this organization, we're, we're almost done with our FedRAMP moderate. So that was a huge impetus for us to move in that direction. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think when you say that, you know, what I like that you said is that I like it because it transcends industries, right? So, I mean, a lot of people could look at your story and say, well, yeah, Devo, well, they're a security company. So of course they got to eat their own dog food. How can you be a security company and not have a CISO? But what you highlighted is a story that fits for, I mean, it fits in my organization, right? And I work in a completely non-cybersecurity related business. Well, I shouldn't say completely. We do actually have a little offshoot now, um, but that's that's a different story. But, you know, we were, I work in a space where we have petabytes, like literally petabytes of data and, you know, protecting that and it, it's super sensitive data it, it's data that you know could be exceptionally damaging if in you know if it were to be exposed and so you know to your point even in other industries that ability to use your security posture as a competitive advantage is, is very important too and i think you know you, you talked about highlighting the business value of it, right? And how do how do we bring business? And one, one of the key ways is what you talked about as far as, you know, well, hey, this this is something that is, is going to bring clients to you or stand out above maybe some of our competitors. So how do you how do you shape that in a way, that conversation? Because of course you want to be careful there too, right? You don't want to be the one out there proclaiming we're unhackable, we're secure, we're the most secure people around. <laughs> Never, ever say that, please. Anyone that's listening, <laughs> don't ever say that because it's not true. Um, but what what we do internally is um, we've built out a robust uh, GRC function in terms of our framework. And we have a standard risk library that we're using and we have an impact reference table. So the 
you know, the likelihood versus the consequence. But within that calculation, we look at not just the, you know, the financial loss, but the, as I mentioned before, like the reputational risk, the information security risk on that sliding scale of, you know, insignificant to catastrophic. Um, and as part of our metric reporting that we do on a monthly basis to our steering committees, we, we highlight that. Like this in bold, this could be our reputational risk. This could be a financial risk, et cetera. Um, and that really catches attention. Um, you know, if you have red, amber, green status, um, which is what we use, and then a, a comment next to it, it's going to breed discussions at the executive level. Like, okay, how do we prevent this risk from coming to fruition? What can we do now to be proactive? Um, and I think that's really important. And it's something that every organization should be doing. Of course, metrics change, um, but it is very, um, it's very easy to adjust your metrics to your current situation. Did you just get a ton of money in? Did you just do a massive you know, campaign during the Super Bowl on a commercial that's drawing attention to your company? Maybe you should be looking at your SOC metrics to see what's coming in. What's, you know, what, what are you preventing? What could be the risk there? And kind of tying that into your brand. Yeah. No, did your CISO just go and, you know, host a podcast and talk about how you have tons and tons of different data? <laughs> Whoops. No, seriously. I mean, come on, everybody knows that. I mean, you would know that anyway. And, and honestly, this day and age, what organization doesn't? But yeah. you mentioned a couple times now your background in GRC, which yeah. I think for some people is kind of, I mean, let's be honest. People have weird attitudes about GRC. <laughs> Oh yes, <laughs> it's well. It's one of those things that I, I really, I, I think we miss the value of, mm -hmm. um, because there is kind of this attitude. I mean, we, we treat audit the same way too, right? So we'll kind of relate audit in here too. Audit gets yeah. kind of beat on, and and to be fair, sometimes rightfully so, but yes. they can also be very effective. And the the design, the, the purpose of GRC in particular. You just highlighted how effective of a tool that can be for a CISO. So do you run into like those questions or, you know, kind of a, how do, how do you get treated being somebody who maybe isn't the, the deep technologist, but more has that, that kind of governance and, you know, that, that structured sort of background? Oh, Alyssa, it's like PTSD. Um, <laughs> um, no, it's okay. No, it's good. It's really good that we're having these conversations, right? Because I think the role as a CISO has changed dramatically over the last even five years. Not just People keep saying 10. I really think it's five. Um, no longer do you need to have a deeply technical hands-on, I've written thousands of lines of code CISO to understand what a security program should look like, what risks your organization is facing, because we've moved away from just technical risks due to your point earlier, right? There is like petabytes of data out there. I mean, really every company is a security company at this point. It should be on everyone's radar. It should be by default. Um, so I've gotten, you know, like mixed feedback from people like, you know, like you're not technical. How can you be a CISO? I'm like, oh, well, here's the program that, structure that I'm using. Here's my reporting methodology. Here's my governance. You know, here's this, that, and the other thing. And it's like, oh, being a CISO is much more than having been an engineer or you know, starting your own organization. It's understanding the threat landscape, your emerging risks, and how you can pivot to respond when something changes, which I don't think is news to anybody. 
things change daily. And you have to have a program that's established that is flexible enough to address those immediate pivots that are going to take place. Um, and that's really where the GRC background comes in. Uh, the framework I've created um, really addresses the what versus the how. I leave the how to the people that are actually executing it, right? I don't think I'm in a position or anyone on my team to go in and say, you're doing it wrong. I don't think that, that that's what, that's where you get that reputation, right? As a, as a security professional is, what do you mean I'm doing it wrong? I've been doing it this way. Sure, there's tweaks that can be made, but we, there should never be this condescending, you're doing it wrong, don't do it that way. It's, hey, if you're doing it your way, great. Can you add these caveats in? Could you, you know, ensure you're meeting this criteria as well? And then working together collaboratively to build what that looks like into your risk registers or your SOC 2, ISO, whatever you're going for, um, you know, it, it's going to get you more collaboration, more people in your corner, um, and, and will prove that you don't have to be that hands-on technical CISO, that you can be the compliant CISO or the vendor CISO or GRC enforcer, if you will. <laughs> well, and so as someone who is deeply technical or well, at least was at one time and has written hundreds of thousands of lines of code, <laughs> I fully appreciate this because, you know, at, I, I don't think I've made it any secret on this show or in conference talks or anything else that... I have had to sit through some brutal uh, executive committee board meetings where super duper technical CISOs got up there and talked super duper duper technical and everybody else in the room was sitting there, you know, with their phones, uh, you know, heads down doing, you know, whatever. I don't know. Um, You know, making reservations for dinner, calling an Uber. I don't know, but you know, and so, The perspective you have from being in a GRC role is so cool because you've seen one of the things that I had to learn myself coming from a very technical background was how to really understand what the business is doing and how to incorporate my cybersecurity program into that rather than thrust it upon them. And that's where I, I... I feel like even today yet we fall apart a lot with cybersecurity because we forget that, you know, we, we, we think we're there as an oversight and we're there to, you know, we're going to protect the organization from these, these evil developers and business teams that don't care about security. And that that's not reality. Most of the time they have different priorities, but when you can see that grander scope of you've been working through you know, risk management, you've been working with governance frameworks that, and compliance frameworks for that matter that your organization is subject to, maybe it's even compliance requirements from contractual obligations. You know, I, I, I'm sure you've got those. I know we do, <laughs> lots and lots of them. And so, you know, I, I think that that actually brings there's value to that, right? There's sure there's value to having the technical background. I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm, oh I'm, yeah, absolutely. Cause you can but, see the wool being pulled over your eyes. Very, most of the time. Very okay, soft fair enough. Together, <laughs> <you know? laughs> but you know, I think, you know, that that's a really good point too, right? I surround myself with people who are smarter than I am with certain things. And I just want to point out that my security team is led by all women 
And my SOC director is deeply technical and she's the one that's like, mm, I don't think that's accurate. And, you know, she does her research and she'll respond appropriately. Right. But, it, but she knows that I'm not technical like that. So, she, you know, she steps up and that's when, you know, managing up comes into play. You don't have to be a jack of all trades to, to be in this space. You just have to know what you're contractually obligated to do what like the regulations are in the market that you're operating in and really making sure that, you know, you're able to stay on top of it. Again, pivoting um, is super important and being flexible with your approach to security and collaborative is going to make it just so much easier. Well, and honestly, <laughs> you know, it's, I, I think another element to that is you have to be able to admit your own limitations, right? So yeah, you're not a jack of all, you're not going to know everything, but that's not how you're successful anyway. You never could. It's being able to admit where your limitations lie and rely on those people around you to fill in, you know, that expertise. Like you said, that's why you hire really smart people. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you have to trust them. And I think that's like super key as well. Um, the head of my GRC team, a woman, um, she's technical from like, she's done the IT audit side of the house. You know, she's going through the GRC, um, like control and risk assessments. And even she's like, nope, that doesn't make sense. And it, it really helps to build credibility with the team where some of them who are the deeply technical engineers that say, yeah, but you, you're, you know, you're the CISO, you're not technical. It really helps to build those bridges um, and, and really establish the brand internally which is super important. And I had the same struggle at other organizations. This is not just a, you know, a one, one and done scenario. This will happen really to anybody who's not technical. I know I've gotten the feedback that it's happened. Um, but, you know, the collaboration piece is, is huge in, again, building trust and, you know, just going through the motions. <laughs> no, it, that trust is key, right? Yeah. I mean, hello, securing bridges. Up here. Um, that, but that's the reality, right? We're trying to bridge those gaps and yeah. we're trying to, we're trying to establish relationships with the people in our organization because we cannot do this alone. And that idea that we're going to stand there and be the, the lone rangers who come riding in on, you know, our, yeah. our white horses or whatever to, to defend everybody until we embrace that we need the organization on board with us and that that business those business lines the ones you know that make all the revenue they're kind of important and if you're going to do something especially as a CISO if you're going to you know implement something that's going to harm revenue get ready to lose your job because i don't care who you are yes you have to have a budget you have to fight for your budget all that good stuff but if you're going to actually implement things that harm revenue, something that drives a customer away, yeah. be ready because that that is not going to be that's not going to work out well for you. It's not a winning strategy. And yet, I think I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. I, I think we've seen public examples of CISOs that have done exactly that. Yes, we have. And you know, sometimes those decisions are made you know, on the fly, not thinking through those, you know, um, the consequences upstream and downstream of what those things, those decisions that you make have, you know, typically you see the security function as being the exemplar in the company, right? Because we're so process focused and documentation focused because we have to be. Um, 
And when, when you make a mistake like that, it's just very visible yeah. to your point. So how do you, how do you go about making sure you don't end up in that? Because like you said, it, sometimes I can just be, you know, in the moment, you're just, you're, you're really focused, you're hyper-focused on trying to accomplish something or trying to really get a new control in place. What are some tactics? I mean, to help our, help our listeners out. Like, <laughs> what, what can they do here that, you know, is going to help them, whether they're CISO, whether they're, you know, a, a manager, whether they're an engineer, how, how do they help avoid those, those pitfalls? No, I really think it's important to have that GRC function, whether it's a full GRC function or just a person focused on security risk, because they're trained to see what others don't. Um, unfortunately, I think to your point earlier, sometimes people think, oh, okay, you're in risk. You're a negative Nancy. You're a Debbie Downer. You're a pessimist. Well, no, we're, we're pointing out risk, which can be considered opportunity in some cases too, but we're pointing out risks so that we can be proactive so they don't come to fruition and become an issue or an incident. And that's a big distinction is understanding risk incidents, very different. So yes, yeah, so we're pointing risk, risk out, giving you an opportunity to pivot and address it before it becomes a problem. And with that, building out the metrics to show the data. Data doesn't lie. Maybe it could be massaged a bit to be better, but it doesn't lie. If the data is lying, then you're obviously your inputs are incorrect. Um, and it's important to get that in front of your yourself. You know, I have my team who gets me the data, but then I put that in front of a steering committee that we've established um, for governance purposes. And that consists of the executive leadership team minus the CEO. We gain consensus on what we think our top risks are, because I have an opinion, but they're the business experts. And then they take it to the CEO if it's necessary. And that works very well because once you have everyone on the same page, no one can say that was a surprise. It's interesting too. You said Debbie Downer and I, that kind of caught my ear and you, you talked <laughs> about risks. And I, I think, and then maybe this is a little bold. I hope it's not, but you know, we often look at risks as negatives, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's natural in cybersecurity because a lot of the risks we're talking about are inherently negatives. Yeah. But I, I almost feel like there's an opportunity here to reshape how we think about risk in general because the reality is just the act of being in business is risky. There is risk involved in everything you do. You cannot function as a risk-free organization. You wouldn't exist. And so, you know, I, I think when we start to think about risk as instead of, you know, this bad, bad thing has to be avoided at all costs, it's understanding what are the risks that are out there, which ones are tenable and which ones are those that we really want to work to eliminate to, to use a term that gets used in a different way. Typically, which risks are we going to accept Mm -hmm. And which ones are we going to work to mitigate, reassign, whatever, you know, the typical risk management strategies, right? Yeah. So, I, and I, th I think that's maybe kind of an important facet to look at there. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Um, the risk appetite, which some people don't like, so risk threshold, whatever you want to call it, um, is really what we focus on. And that's why I take the approach of bringing what I think are our top risks 
to a governance forum so that the business folks who are responsible for setting the overall organizational strategy can make those decisions based off of what you know I'm seeing in the data that I have that backs it up. Um, do we all agree? No, absolutely not. They're not going to, that's, that's not the point. The point is to give the awareness, the transparency and allow them to say, okay, we're gonna focus on ABC. We're going to accept, you know, X, Y, Z for now, and, you know, put it on the back burner until another quarter when we can build in the resourcing to address whatever this issue might be. Um, and I think that's really the important part is the transparency and being able to make those decisions. Cause if you don't know, you can't address it. Um, and sometimes you take that risk and it is an opportunity, right? And M and A is extremely risky. It's a risk, but there's also an opportunity there. So, the, the, you know, it's, it's a two-sided coin, if you will, um, but it's a, it's a decision that's made. Every business manager of any capacity is also a risk manager. It's just different nomenclature. That's For really sure. what, it comes, what it comes down to. And then just understanding how to deal with it is where a risk team comes in. Well, and you highlighted a really important thing here, too, and that is everybody has inputs and views of risk, Right. And I think what we also sometimes gets lost in the wash with cybersecurity is we think of our job as risk management solely. And no, our, our job is to educate the business on the cybersecurity portion yeah. of that risk picture because that's the thing we understand. I, I would be the absolute worst person to put in a room to talk about financial <laughs> risk, okay? I would be awful. I am not a CFO. Please, God, don't ever ask me to do that. <laughs> yeah. But that's what we don't, that's why I think we haven't really totally learned in cybersecurity is that risk is so much bigger than just us. There's human risk. There's, you know, geopolitical risk. There's all of these different forms of risk that affect our organization. Yeah. We're only experts in one facet of that. And so our job is to communicate the part of it that we're experts in to help ultimately the CEO, the board, to see all of those different facets of the risk and decide what fits into your risk tolerance or um, mm -hmm. I, I forget which word you use. There's a few names for it, but appetite, but yeah, appetite. That's the one that people don't like, but yep. yeah. <laughs> I mean, ultimately what fit, what, what is going to fit, what mm -hmm. fits with your business model and and there's that word again, business. Right. It, if you look at where we are today, we've had mass layoffs across our industry and, and many others in the security space. Um, and, you know, where we were a year ago from a risk tolerance perspective is very different from where we are today. So there's that pivot again, being able to pivot to what's acceptable and within your tolerance levels, it's going to change. And that is the business side. If I go to, you know, the CTO and I say, hey, you know, we're seeing this people risk tied to security insider threat being a huge one. The tolerance today is going to be very different from what it was a year ago because there's been, you know, our customers have seen layoffs. So we need to have eyes on glass. Their, their threat um, exposure has now increased. So mm -hmm. us having eyes on glass, we're able to, to see things that others may miss. And being able to, um, to have like that appetite to change is super important. It will help just address all, not all, I shouldn't say all, but a lot of your risk. So Kevin Jackson has a good question here for you. 
Uh, as a startup, how do you and the rest of the security team manage resource limitations? You, you were just talking about how challenging this can be. So especially with a younger company, and I know Kevin's asking because Kevin's got his own security startup that he's working in right now. So I'm sure this is a very, uh, a very uh, deep question for himself. How do, you, how do you make that balance? When I first started, what I was doing was creating a risk register and assigning it to those functions. Because being in our position where we see a lot more than people realize just through our observations as being security professionals. And you can raise the risk and assign it. And I would strongly suggest getting some sort of governance form, even if it's just an email distribution list together and sending the notifications out like, hey, this is our risk register. This is who I've assigned it to. I've given it you know, high, medium, low, whatever your risk rating, um, you know, uh, risk rating titles are. Can we talk about it? and getting that conversation going there. Um, there's gonna be resource constraints that are gonna probably hit your team as well if they haven't already, but being able to loop in the, the people who are responsible from a fiduciary responsibility perspective. So the CFO, the general counsel, data protection officer, whatever you might have, CEO, if there's none of the um, above, um, it, it helps to get that visibility and again, that transparency, you don't have to make it this big, massive Excel spreadsheet. Cause that's, you know, the, the security tool of the year, isn't it? <laughs> um, but it can just be a, a very simple list um, of, Hey, this, I see this, this is how I'm rating it. This is why I'm rating it. This is who I think owns it. Do you agree? Excel managing cybersecurity for the last 25 years. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I know that, um, you know, it, it's kind of interesting the way you, that you structure that because I'm realizing there's a couple happy side effects to that, right? Not only have you assigned ownership and, and kind of put it in somebody's hands and thereby you've also kind of augmented your staff, if you will, mm -hmm. by bringing other people in, but what a perfect way to start to generate a security culture where people understand security kind of from the get-go and they're asking those questions because if you're, if you're early on, assigning risk to them and saying, hey, you know, this is a risk that your business area is introducing that, you know, you need to evaluate and you do that in a collaborative and cooperative way. You know, I, I feel like that's going to actually start to build a, a stronger security minded, if you will, culture in that organization. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. And I'm, I'm guessing startup, you don't have an awareness team, right? I mean, it's that, I, I don't know many companies that have them just yet, but it, it does, it builds that awareness and it's not accusatory. It's not saying you own this risk and you're doing it saying, Hey, I've noticed something that's a risk. This is why I think it's a risk. Do you agree or disagree? And if they agree, great. If they disagree, ask them why, like, well, this is what I'm seeing. Can you explain it to me? And, and I think that will help to just to more conversation and acceptance of the work that you're trying to accomplish. And I think what we, we've kind of highlighted here is, you know, we, we talked early on about, you know, GRC background versus technical background and, you know, some of those challenges. I think, you know, it's, it's interesting to see where this has led because 
I, I feel like a lot of people in cybersecurity get their start and immediately as they think about like where, where they want their career to progress someday, it's like CISO is kind of like that de facto, that's where I got to go, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's like the epitome. But I think people kind of miss, and hopefully they're picking up on it here, that as you move into that level, it's not just becoming less technical because you're not going to have your hands in, I mean, tell me to go write a cloud formation script, I'll laugh in your face. <laughs> Um, you know, uh, that, that ain't going to be me. Um, but I, there is an actual skill set here that is different. It's not just, well, I don't do the tech anymore. I just talk about the tech. No, it's, there's a truly different skill set to being a CISO yeah. and it may not be the world that you want to be in. It, it takes somebody with a certain desire to do this kind of work. And I've, I actually wonder, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, which is easier. Do you, well, let me word it differently. I get the impression it might actually be easier for someone coming from more of a GRC background to step into an executive role mm -hmm. in cybersecurity than someone like me who came up through very technical, mm -hmm. uh, you know, backgrounds and being a developer, being a pen tester, being a hacker, like, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, you know, it's a really good question um, because I have the, the business side background. So my degree is in accounting. I have a master's degree in management focusing on project management. Um, and I moved into security, um, like a security consultancy role while working for a financial services company as an internal auditor. Um, and I became very familiar with the business lingo. And I was able to kind of take the business requirements and turn them into the functional spec for the technical teams in, in the form of the security framework. And then also kind of translate things back into executive speak. And red, amber, green, that's the best way to report anything to your executives. <laughs> Make it really simple, right? Red is a problem. <laughs> um, it's cliche, but it works. It does. It works, right? Keeping it simple. Um but I, I feel, you know, coming from the business side and coming from GRC that I have a very rounded background when it comes to business risk. Um, I have technical privacy, which, you know, GDPR, that changes almost every month because of a new lawsuit, right? CCPA, CC, what RA is a new one, uh, PIPDA, moving into like APAC or into Latin America, you're going to have to understand how to interpret those privacy regulations into technical organizational measures that have to be put in place. So that's the security side. Um, and being able to see things that others don't see, like, like, oh, hey, I see this thing way over there off in the distance that could become an emerging risk is a massive advantage. And that's coming from the business side. Um, is it easier? Maybe, but I think... <sighs> It depends on where you go, really. Honestly, it really just depends on where you go and what the, the company's looking for. The CISO role is so varied. If you are going to be a CFO, you know what your job is. If you're going to be a CEO, you know what your job is. Marketing, same thing. The CISO role is different every job description you look at. Yeah. Because it's still considered new, right? Well, and that's just it, right? We have to keep it in perspective. The CISO has been around for what, 27, 28 years now, I think is the official, mm -hmm. uh, since we saw like the first actual CISO. Yeah. 
And, you know, so I, I think people, we, we do kind of forget like how young this role is and we're still sort of figuring it out. People are yeah. still arguing who should the CISO report to. Um, I can make arguments in all directions on that and they're all equally valid and they're all yeah. equally flawed. So, um, you know, I, I think really being realistic to that, but you mentioned emerging threats, right? And that's something like how many people three months ago had ChatGPT on their radar. And now I, I don't know a CISO is not talking about the, the scariness of yeah. trying to figure out this new unknown and how are we, you know, we've got businesses who want to leverage this. They want to leverage these chatbots and they're looking at them like it's the greatest thing, but nobody really fully understands or is thinking about the risk picture necessarily until, you know, suddenly cybersecurity hears that business is looking at this and they're like, whoa, wait a minute, or legal gets wind of it. And then, you know, then it's even worse. Um, but so, yeah, I, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. So what is on your, what's kind of out there on your radar? Right now, what I'm focusing on is the privacy side. Um, you know, I don't know many organizations that have like lobbyists on the Hill that are, you know, out there, like how many people here actually are looking at what's happening in the privacy space. Um, that has a massive impact on your security strategy and your overall organization, your, your processes. Um, there's still a lot of change that's being driven through privacy. And that is an emerging risk. I think that a lot of people overlook it's like, oh yeah, we meet GDPR, whether they maintain it or not is, is a different story. Um, but we have 50 states with very different requirements. Some are becoming more stringent than others. So, you know, that is in and of itself is an emerging risk that has been on my radar for a while. Um, and then yeah, chat GPT, like how many like organizational secrets are out there that, you know, people are like, Oh, just check my code. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, I, know it. I know it. I mean, and the, the, the question I heard the other day was, you know, what about using chat GPT to comment code? That's a new one. Not do that. Yeah. <laughs> Here, upload your entire code base and let ChatGPT comment it. Um, so, you know, it's like, yeah, it, and, it, and it, it, it's the same old thing. It just, it happens. It's a cycle over and over again, right? A new technology shows up. People don't fully understand the implications of it, not even in security. Mm -hmm. And now we're, we're trying to catch up and say, how do we... Yes, we see the value of this tool. And this is the key. First of all, if you're in cybersecurity and you sit there and you say, no, thou must not use chat GPT, you already lost the game. The yeah. question has to be, yeah, I see the value in this tool. Let's figure out how you can innovate to use this technology, but also keep us and our customers safe. Would you yeah. agree? Yeah, intellectual property risk is a very real problem faced by users of chat GPT. And that's where legal comes in. And that's what usually the department of no for, for real. <laughs> lawyers get lawyers enjoy that. Okay. I, I, oh, I, yeah. I work with a few. So yeah, I know. <laughs> I kind of seem to like that in some perverse little way. And I think most of them would agree and admit that, you know, but um, no, I uh, honestly, I mean, we have a great legal team where I work and, you know, I mean, they do, I mean, legitimately everybody, everybody's trying to do the same thing at the end of the day, which is make the business successful, but keep us all safe. Yeah. The fiduciary responsibility does extend further than those that are named officers of the organization for sure. 
so we're just about out of time, but I want to highlight something. So we've just had this conversation, very technical CISO, very G, uh, GRC focused CISO. And there's been a lot of really strong mesh here. These types of conversations, looking at the juxtaposition of those two is something that you're going to be doing some more work with in the future, it sounds like. Yes, um, I've actually been um, asked to start my own podcast with ITSP. So um, Lockdown is going to be, seems to be the name. Uh, it's a work in progress and we'll, we'll definitely be in touch with you, Alyssa, of course. Um, and, you know, pr promoting it and, and really working on that technical versus GRC mindset on the, some of the issues that are being tackled across the board um, with all different organizations, all levels of professionals as well. So I got I to gotta throw this out there because I'm hearing people out there right now like, oh, okay. No, I actually just found out about this right before this show. I didn't know that, that Kayla was even working on a podcast, let alone with ITSP. So before you get your judgmental minds going, no. <laughs> uh, no, I've got an incredible CISO here who has been a phenomenal guest and has shared some really cool perspectives. I hope you've all enjoyed. I appreciate the comments and the questions we've been getting in the chat. It's been great today. Um, as always, if you have somebody you think would be a great guest on the show, I'd love to hear who it is. Um, I have my network and I'm always reaching out to new folks, but please let me know, connect with me on LinkedIn or Mastodon's a whole lot easier. Please, God, don't bother with Twitter. I don't visit that bird site unless I have to. Um, but, you know, get in touch with me. Let me know. Let the folks at ITSP know if you don't know how to get in touch with me, which would shock me. Um, but, you know, we'd love to hear that. Additionally, too, you hear it every week at the end of the show. But if you know an organization that would be interested in associating their brand with what we do here on Securing Bridges, we'd love to hear that, too, because we'd love to to connect with them and see what opportunities are there as well. So with all the plugs done, thank you so much, Kayla. I really, really, really appreciate you joining me today. Yes, thank you so much for having me and hopefully I'll see you at RSA. I, I will be there. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know where all yet, but uh, you know how that goes. So we're still sorting that business out. But, uh, <laughs> very cool. All right, well to the rest of you out there in internet worlds and through the pipes, Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time right here on Securing Bridges. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.